Hello, everyone. I am, this is Thursday Night Appetizer. This is Sam. I'm Charles. Oh, I mean, uh, no. <laughs> I'm not Sam. It's not that funny. I'm sorry. Don't apologize for not being Sam, Sam or being not that's Sam. That's Charles. That's Jade. I'm Jade. Jade. Yep. We were just talking a minute ago about whether Jade should disqualify herself from this podcast because she isn't Catholic. Nope. But I like Jesus. So. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's a start. <laughs> um, on the other hand, Sam was arguing. <laughs> that perhaps some Catholics might not recognize us as Catholic mm. in some respects. Mm -hmm. Because Sam plays guitars, which is really obviously un-Catholic. And because I eat with tax collectors and sinners, yeah. which isn't Catholic either, apparently. No, okay, wait a minute. Mm. I'm going to call you on that right away. This is really important, though, because <laughs> that makes you sound like a spiritual elite, because you get to be like Jesus. Oh, you're better than oh. those people who don't eat with tax collectors and sinners, because you're like Jesus, because you eat with the tax collectors and sinners. People keep saying this to me, like mm. you guys think you're so great because oh. you're better than the people who, who think they're that? great. My wife. Hi, Mary. <laughs> Anathema, I believe is the word. Anathema seat. Hmm. Um, what? I just added another word. Oh. The full thing is anathema seat. Okay, Let them be. Can you only add real words from now on? It's a real word in another language. Hmm. Um, sorry, I like controversy and perhaps too much so. Okay. That's okay. Good, good discussion. So no, I didn't mean that I was better than everyone else. But it sounds like you do. You understand why it sounds like that? <laughs> yes. Because you're being more like Jesus it than they are. It was a joke. No, it's, it's not a joke. Lately, you actually mean it. Lately, I'm annoyed that people feel that eating with tax collectors and sinners is not a Christian thing to do. Mm -hmm. When it clearly is. No, it's only a Christian thing to do if you call them out on everything that they've done wrong. Oh, right. You're yeah. supposed to tell them all of their sins. So you, you can't talk about the weather or what's going on in your life. You can only, yeah. Like, hello. I want you to know you're going to hell unless you change your ways. Exactly. Now let's eat. That's the Christian way. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I will make the argument. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be my, the quasi-traditionalist here because mm -hmm. I love the traditionalists. Yeah. Oh, so my best friends are family traditionalists. Uh, that's what I'm leaving. <laughs> if you don't tell people their sin, you're failing in your Christian responsibility to them. Mm -hmm. And if you just keep saying, I'll tell them later over and over again to yourself, mm -hmm. then you're just like, you're right. Leave mm -hmm. people in error. Yep. And, and I, I've all, I also said before that we started the podcast that I believe in honesty. I think the word is a good word is honesty. Being honest with people is not always pointing out their sin. Okay. Hey, Wait, is, you're, at first it sounded like you were being you're willing to be honest in the sense of telling them their sin. That's right. But now you're and saying, I am, not I am willing to be honest with them about their sin. Hmm. The problem is there has to be in order for that to be effective. Yeah. Actually impacting them in a positive way. Yeah. Change their life in a positive way. There has to be a relationship. If there's a relationship, then that honesty will be could be received um, in the context of of love and care and dignity. Whereas if, it, if it's cold, if it's just cold truth, um, then it's, the truth is like a weapon. Mm -hmm. I feel of... like both of your, what you just said and what Sam just said can kind of meet in the middle because like you. you need a relationship. <laughs> but sometimes like the comfortable relationship that you formed and the, you know, just how regular it is can become like, oh, I don't want to tell them the truth now because what if this all falls apart? Or like, what if they judge me? What if I lose the relationship? Then like this whole, oh, I'll tell them later. I'll tell them later. Right? It can become easier because I'm so comfortable just talking about nothing related to God, you know? Mm -hmm. 
or about their lives. Right. That's right. You can you can avoid being honest, mm -hmm. and that that is not long term. When you prioritize what a being a buddy. Yeah, but what about short term? What about medium term? Like street uh, I, evangelism. I'm going to agree with Pope Francis at this time. Yeah. Heretic. <laughs> and say that not the Pope. You. Sorry. The, the Pope said that we are to listen to the Spirit expecting an opportunity to arise to take the relationship to another level or to it on another step mm -hmm. where where it becomes appropriate to be honest yeah but we have to wait for that time it's almost like a a discovery and the thing is you can't base the relationship on that you have to love people because you love people yeah and because they're lovable and yeah. god loves them in spite of their sinfulness mm -hmm. um, and you can love them too whether they change or not um you can still love the person and so you focus on that and when the time is right and the relationship's at a good at the right point the time will come to be honest and you have to be ready for that too can i put you, you on can't just avoid i it. want to put jade on the spot okay because, okay. because you literally are on the spot and i am kind of too what's that sorry i'm getting kind of preachy anyway oh well you you go to high school mm -hmm. happens to be a catholic high school yep and we were talking earlier about which is true when i went to high school actually which is quite a while ago 40 years ago decades plus um not that different probably half a century from what i hear i mean like I'm people bad. were doing drugs and sleeping around and yeah partying whatever you want to call it you know mm -hmm. friends family teachers yeah. uh when i was in high school so i don't think things are that different maybe the way people think about things is different and there are different versions of what's okay what's okay and what's not i'm, I'm relating that to actually where i work because i work in a long-term care facility mm -hmm. Most of my colleagues are, I'd say, women in their 20s and 30s. Many of them are mothers. And they have all kinds of different lives. And they know I'm the chaplain there, which is my, my role. So what's it like for you at a high school to think about, like, okay, relationships, friendships, honesty, Jesus, what's it like? Just in, many of our listeners are not high school people, so they mm -hmm. wouldn't necessarily know. Um, like to try and share the gospel? If that's what it, like, or do you even do that? Well... I I think I'm a very friendly person. I like to make friends. I like to connect with the people in my classes. So already I make an effort to just like be an influence on my own um, mm -hmm. in the way that I act. And like hopefully, even if I'm not best friends with someone, they can see the way that I treat others and sure. that I carry myself and like handle problems. <laughs> Maybe that's inspiring. Why are you shaking your head? He doesn't think I'm inspired. They need Jesus. I know, I know, but it's hard. Like what you're saying is, w when you connect with someone mm -hmm. and you learn about what's going on in their life, mm -hmm. so often I've had so many friends where I've like spent so much time with them. I've given them so much of my advice, which I think is pretty good, and they still like reject it and turn away. Like high school kids are so influenced by the media, it's a struggle, but I, maybe I'm also lucky because I go to a Catholic school and I could, like I started a prayer club, I can put up Bible verses on the wall, like I can talk about God mm -hmm. and it's not like that controversial. People are aware of the fact that there are believers in this school, right? I don't know. Yep. It's, it's tricky. It's like every person is different. Every person you talk to, you kind of have I to like go. That. I actually like that last part. Something I Thank think you. about <laughs> because of where I work is... In one sense, having a role that's officially Catholic, or not officially Catholic, officially Christian, is a way of, like, people don't have to engage with that. Mm. Because that's his thing. He does that spiritual stuff, I don't have to do it. Right. But it's also 
It can be. If people get to know you over a long time, I've worked there seven years now. Um, some people want to talk about stuff too. When things are happening in their lives that I didn't know about, but they may want to talk about them. Mm -hmm. And I know whenever, like I, I do a service once in a while, once a month or so, there'll be staff people there. And sometimes I see people kind of nodding along and the staff and nodding along and engaging when I'm really talking to the, the residents or seniors mm -hmm. because death is death, loss is loss, you know, right? So yeah. people go through the same kinds of things, no matter how old or young they are. Mm -hmm. And I do also want to add one more thing, which I'm, I'm sure both of you are aware of, is I think people appreciate it when Catholics and Christians can acknowledge and do acknowledge that we are sinners in need of salvation ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually think that's such a big, big, big thing that when we're eating with tax collectors and sinners, what we're actually doing, what Jesus actually did was, he was saying to the Pharisees, the line you've drawn because of your observance of the law between yourselves and these other people doesn't exist. It's not like they're better than you because they're outside that line. Mm -hmm. We're all in the same. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, like the like the tax collector and the Pharisee in, in the temple. Right, right. right. Like the Pharisee goes right up to the front and he's putting on a show and the tax collector is sitting in the back, aware of his own unworthiness to be there. Mm -hmm. I actually think that's what the evangelicals do a good job of. Which is what? In general. What's that? Is Which a recovering is? Evangelical. <laughs> um, I hope not. I just think keeping, keeping the, the notion that we are sinners in need of a savior at the forefront mm -hmm. of, of personally and also of their mm -hmm. message. Mm hmm. I think is one of the things they're good at and one of the things I've learned from them. Mm. Since you just mentioned Jade's on a journey of, um, I wouldn't say recovering evangelical. <laughs> no, I, I, I've been harping about how she needs to remain an evangelical. Well, recovering from some things and like really... It would be a shame to lose your evangelicalness. I don't think I ever could. Yeah. But I also, do. I didn't go straight from evangelical. Like, I went to a Baptist church for five years before we moved. Which it's not was evangelical. It's more like conservative Christian. Very yeah, quiet. Like, the first weekend we went, no one had their hands up. And I was like, is this even a church? Oh, gosh. It was scary. <laughs> I know. Which, yeah, maybe now. Like, anyway. But, <laughs> but it was a big shift. But it was good for me. Like, it taught me that there was more to my relationship with Jesus than just singing out a song every week and you they know having a good cry church? well they did but it wasn't like as big and emotional and you know that like you've been to those conferences with the youth yeah, yeah. that was every single week mm -hmm. right and you kind of get used to like that emotional high mm -hmm. again and again and then all of a sudden it was like oh i'm going to church to hear a message or i'm going to church now to connect with other people like, that wasn't the main goal before. So you had a um, very strong, could I even say Pentecostal background? Yeah. Um, and then you were with a more conservative Baptist church, your family, for a few years. Mm -hmm. And well, I'm going to just guess, partly through being at a Catholic school, you came into contact with Catholics, Catholic community. Yep. And that's... They converted me. <laughs> uh, their answers were better than mine, answers to the same questions. What, what just, because, it, because this is kind of a, an opportunity for people watching or listening, some of whom are Catholic, some of whom are not. Um, some of them might be Christian, some of them might be whatever. Um, what, do you, what did you find helpful in at least leading you in the direction of the Catholic Church from your Pentecostal slash conservative Baptist mm -hmm. kind of formation? What, what kinds of things led you more in this direction? Well, Catholic? one of the biggest things was the fact that people, like the ones who really cared about me, they didn't lie. 
which is what you just said about being honest. Mm -hmm. I can think of a few friends who, when I asked questions, they didn't try to sugarcoat it or make it easier to digest. They were like, nope, we literally believe it's the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus Christ when mm -hmm. we partake in the Eucharist. Like they didn't try to make it easier for me to rationalize. They were like, this is what we believe and we will give ourselves to the church. I was like, oh, okay then. Right. And at the time, maybe it was hard to yeah. accept. And I was really confused by that. But later I realized like they were simply like them living their faith was what I needed. Yeah. So there's no substitute. I think this is true for whatever the cause or, or community is, but especially for, for Christians, there's no substitute for a, a witness who it sounds, I'm just going to guess, mm -hmm. who cares about you as a person, you know they care about you as a person, but is also willing to be really honest with you. Yeah. Especially on things that are difficult yeah. and maybe controversial. You I might was, disagree I with was really stubborn and I thought I was right about everything. Yeah. And I was going into these conversations thinking I would change their mind. Right. And that didn't happen. Like my words weren't convincing enough. And it's not like their words were necessarily convincing enough that they convinced me, but they were so strong. And I was like, how can someone be so certain about this? Mm -hmm. Right? Which isn't necessarily, like, maybe that's not true for everything, because there's yeah, yeah. probably people who are certain about things that aren't true. Yeah. But them being certain about their faith, that was really a big mm -hmm. deal. Well, we can't, we're not going to spend this whole episode of Thursday Night Appetizer <laughs> going over your life and your journey, although it is really helpful to us, like both Sam and me, and I think people watching and listening. So mm -hmm. thank you for sharing a bit. Don't hesitate to say whatever you want to over the next little while. There's some parts of this that are a bit more formal, like we pray. Um, I do a bit of a backgrounder for the, for the passage we're going to look at. Um, if you wanted, you could pray or you could read the passage from Mark that we're going to look at this week. But we do do those things. And we just take a bit of silence, as you might remember. Would you would like to pray or read the passage or both? I'll read the passage. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good idea. <laughs> what does that mean? Nothing. Sam really oh, it means pray. something. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so glad to have you join us, Jade. And uh, yeah, I'll do the backgrounder for this week. So we're actually continuing a series called Prepare Your Hearts for Christmas. And this, this episode of Thursday Night Appetizer leads us into the second week or the second Sunday of Advent. And uh, the idea each week is there's a different attitude expressed in the passage that helps prepare our hearts for Christmas. So last week it was keep watch. This week it'll be prepare the way. So this message, Prepare the Way, was actually first delivered by the prophet Isaiah. And I'll side note, not in the background, but I'll mention also Micah has a very similar passage. We're going to focus on Isaiah, as you'll see why in a minute. So Isaiah says this to Israel at a time when they were down, defeated, and in exile. Prepare the way. Um, everything they prized, the temple, the holy city of Jerusalem, the promised land, their home, had been conquered by the Babylonian Empire, and they themselves were taken away um, in exile, no more to see these beloved gifts from God, which is what they saw, the temple, the city, the, their land. Yet Isaiah prophesies when they're at their low point, the marvelous return of God's favor for his people. Though they are um, in a kind of wilderness, dispossessed, um, in a place of despair, there's going to be a new hope. A new hope is going to be born. That's Isaiah about 600 years before Jesus. John the Baptist, centuries later, is addressing the descendants of the same people, the people of Israel, their descendants in, in Jesus' time and John the Baptist's time, who are again in despair because though they did make it back home as Isaiah prophesied, they re rebuilt everything, they were conquered yet again, 
and they're now under the iron rule of the Romans. The Romans loved iron, by the way. Mm. They did. They were really good with iron. So they conquered. Um, so John goes out to the wilderness. This is kind of important. To relive the wanderings of his ancestors, who were themselves lost for years in the desert, 40 years, or exiled, as in Isaiah's time, uh, because it's in the wilderness that God turn th turns things around. I think that's really important. Mm. Today, we're also addressed by these same prophetic words, prepare the way. Our world is also full of despair, born of violence, oppression. Too many people are hungry and thirsty for food, even more for meaning and purpose. We've lost our way. That's our wilderness. Um, preparing our hearts for Christmas means that we hear a message of hope when it seems that there is no room for hope. But the hope is not just for us to hold on to, it needs to be shared to be fulfilled. God's coming, God is coming to us once again, but now our hope is founded in the one, on the one whom John foretold. John shows us that we must be humble messengers, not possessive of what God offers, but willing to risk everything, that's what John did, so that the world may be made ready. Jesus came as John prophesied. By doing the Father's will, even to dying on the cross, Jesus also blessed us with the gift of his Holy Spirit. The offer of the Spirit transforms each human heart into a dwelling place fit for a king. We prepare the way in our hearts. And when Jesus reigns in our hearts, his Spirit leads us outward into mission, where we too can announce, prepare the way. Mm. And that's our backgrounder for this week. So Sam's going to pray, Jude's going to read. I'll learn the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God in heaven, we praise and thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to be here together to share uh, this gospel reading and pray for your Holy Spirit to come upon us, to fill us with inspiration, to fill us with your light. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to be your disciples. Thank you for leading us on a journey into, into and out of our own wildernesses. Um, I thank you, Lord, for all of the things that lead us to you, um, that lead us to a place where you can reveal yourself to us. And um, I pray, Lord, that uh, you bless each of us with your Holy Spirit today and with the inspiration we need to have a good conversation today. Glory to you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All righty. And I'm going to read it twice. Yep. I watched the episodes. All righty. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and the whole Judean region and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, 
proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean region and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Whenever you guys are ready. Charles always says something <laughs> to start with. I don't have to. I prefer if other people see because I tend to talk a lot. Hmm. This is kind of just a, a matter of fact beginning to the gospel. Yeah. I mean, there, he's just saying, I found it very straightforward, which isn't always good uh, for, for like inspiration wise. But I was thinking of the voice of one. Hmm. From the, uh, the quote from Isaiah there. Yep. The voice of one. I, not, I don't know exactly why. I guess I was thinking that. Uh, but this kind of goes to what I, I was talking to some family um, yesterday. And um, it's actually 25 years that the mustard seeds has been going. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just just over 25 years. So it's like our 25th anniversary or 26th year or whatever. And I was just thinking about all the times I've witnessed one, the difference one person can make just in like my own life and in ministry and, um, and like John the Baptist, one person calling out and saying, come and be baptized for the, for the repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. Mm -hmm. Um, God can use one person in amazing ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what I was thinking about. I was also thinking of the line confessing their sins was interesting. Um, because, I don't know, the people who presumably were confessing their sins either to John the Baptist or out loud. Right. Which is a little bit like confession. Mm. Right? Actually vocalizing your what you've done wrong to someone else is actually an important uh, part of being forgiven. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things I both hate and like about the Sacrament of Reconciliation <laughs> <laughs> is that we get to confess our sins to someone else, to a real person. We're almost forced to. Not forced to. You don't have yeah. to go, but it's part of the uh, process of forgiveness. Hmm. I don't know. That's, that's, that's all I can think of for now. I mean, John seems like a cool cousin to have. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm reading this. I'm wondering if they just tell us what he's wearing to set the scene, you know, just to like give you some, so if, like man, just so you know, John was kind of weird. <laughs> and you're a theater person, so if you don't yeah. mind my saying, is that true? Like, yeah. I've heard that. So you're, you'd be attentive to literally costume. Yeah. Like, yeah. okay, so John yeah, like, that's wears... That's a good point. They never mention what Jesus is wearing. Right. Or what he ate. Or what he ate. <laughs> but they're like, yeah. just, like, you know. What if Jesus ate an apple core off the ground? They, they don't describe they him as the man who ate apple That's cores. Right. Yeah. And he ate an apple core off the ground. They never see it. So him. what's the significance if you, I mean. Is it just to show. What do you think, like, what do you think would be? Well, I'm, I'm imagining a man who kind of is going through life 
in a in an odd kind of way like i don't i don't know i'm not like do they eat a lot of locusts and honey and wear no. camel's hair no. or, or this is like strange right <laughs> so then john is the the oddball maybe yet he has this calling on his life and he knows so deeply like what his purpose is you know it's like sometimes people show up and they're well dressed and they fit in well to the crowd and we're like okay yeah they seem like a good person sure he should baptize us right okay i'll i'll listen to him and i'll confess my sins but but then there's john and yet these people are listening to him right repenting and they are getting ready for a savior i think they're trying to say that there was something different about him he was yeah really really dedicated to what he was doing mm. to the point that he didn't even take normal clothes with him or didn't matter dressed maybe up in camel hair it didn't matter what he ate locusts. as long as he had something mm -hmm. yeah he was kind of un maybe even unprepared to be out in the wilderness mm. um the one one thing that one thing about the description that i don't understand because it seems more normal i just want to i don't know if you have any thoughts about this i don't is a leather belt yeah. i'm actually literally wearing a leather belt right now <laughs> yeah, it doesn't too. seem that unusual <laughs> but the camel's hair and the, what he ate seems really odd yeah like yeah. Uh, so jade how was how was what was being on thursday night appetizer like oh you know sam and charles were both wearing leather belts yeah like just like to mention it is is odd it's mm -hmm. weird that it's in there yeah like all well, the gospels well, do it, don't they? About, all the synoptics we don't need to put belt. too much attention on this. No, I just thought it was no. I think I think it's important. I think it's important because it's right here at the beginning. It is weird, right? Actually, and and it's obvious that Mark begins his account. This is Mark chapter one, verses one to eight. Account his account of the go, go, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as he he directly calls it, um, by talking about John, not talking about Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Um. My 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 tie into what was yours? Yours was one Sam, and you were talking about the costume. So my thing was, I thought this was like almost like a very strange word. It got my attention. It was not my intention. It was not my intention, but it got my attention. Because the word <laughs> appeared, he disappeared. Yeah. Like all of a sudden, he appeared. There's something bit. surprising, shocking, etc. About like all of a sudden he appeared, and the thing I guess is this idea that um, if you look at the way the the Bible is written, the last prophetic words of an Old Testament prophet were hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. So there was this sort of silence. Mm -hmm. God had kind of stopped like speaking to his people. Yeah, kind of a kind of, and, and they, even though they'd recovered from their, their exile and everything, but then they were conquered by this uh, kind of Greek empire and then by the Romans. So it was like a really bad time because it was like centuries of oppression and nothing from god nothing from god nothing from god maybe that's the background I'm thinking about the background being centuries of nothing from god after they'd had a whole lineage of prophets mm -hmm. they bring uh, that out in the chosen really well oh yeah the the uh in the first season when they're all of the apostles and their families are kind of experiencing oh Jesus right right for the first time right so they're meeting him for the first time and they're like, can this really be the Messiah? And, sure. and you get this impression that like, it's been so long yeah. since God's done anything for us. Like we were starting to wonder, yeah, like where he was, kind of where he was. Yeah, or yeah. What is something wrong? Like, yeah. Like they were, they were, not that they were starting to doubt. They still held on to the fact that the Messiah was coming, but they had almost like given up hope. It seems like that. Mm -hmm. That's the impression you get. What you said about one ties in a lot to that because where does that one person come from? You've seen it maybe happen for yourself, as you were saying, but also seeing it in ministry with like, all of a sudden, if I may, 
are you like talking about like all of a sudden a kid who's in a youth group or something who's like really struggling and something somebody maybe not the youth maybe maybe an adult all of a sudden they're right there for them the person god sent for that person at that moment mm -hmm. that's exactly what i mean yeah and it's surprising and they do kind of just appear it could almost be someone's bit was there all along but in that moment all of a sudden they like shine well, obviously like john, john the baptist was there all along too yeah right right but he appeared yeah right mm -hmm. it's like his time had come mm-hmm and it well, was sudden. It's interesting because um, when Jesus begins to like travel, and doesn't it say he he began his mission when he was thirty? Yes. Right. So it's almost like he was not really there mm -hmm. in the spotlight at all, and then all of a sudden, when he's thirty, you could say he appeared, mm -hmm. and now he's in the public eye. Yeah, he like he comes up, and John is like, "Behold, yeah. the Lamb of God." Right. right? Yeah. They're just like, "Oh, all right. <laughs> oh, there he is. Time to appear." He's here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, can I say something a little unrelated, kind of unrelated? Uh, it was about the backgrounder. You talked about the the wilderness. Mm -hmm. It is in the wilderness that God turns things around. I like. I, I love that line because it's so true. Like just so, I, God both leads us into the wilderness and out of the wilderness. Mm -hmm. yeah. So he, le he leads the he leads the, the people, his people, into the wilderness. So we're talking um, about the Old Testament. From Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt, then they, they were, were in the in wilderness. Egypt, the Passover, the Red Sea. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon after, they're lost in the wilderness for, what, 40 years? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the wilderness was necessary. It was like a purifying time for them. And they, even though, I, I think I saw a map one time of the region. Like, they basically just went around in circles. Like, they, they could have just, they could have crossed it in, like, two months or something. But they, they wandered for 40 years because they were lost. Right. Right. And uh, which is kind of funny, but sad at the same time. Like God didn't actually allow them to get to their destination; He wanted them to wander. Well, I don't know if you remember, but they they got there, and they sent these scouts ahead. Mm -hmm. And the scouts said, "Oh, the people there are like giants; they'll crush us." Which was not really the question. The question for us as Christians, I was not like militarily were they right or wrong. It was more like spiritually. That means they, they didn't trust God. Mm -hmm. God, God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt just a few months before. They're about to go into the promised land, and except for uh, Caleb and Joshua of the 12 scouts, or whatever, 10 scouts, I can't remember the number of scouts, most of the scouts said, no, no, there's no way we can do it. And then God said, okay, this whole generation, none of you are going to see the promised right. land, and except it, for Caleb and Joshua. Is that when Moses is implicated in it too? Yes. Because he doubts. Yeah, and there right? are various kinds of rebellion against so then, God. Yeah, and then Moses doesn't make it to the promised land either. Yeah. Uh, which is weird because he's the, the one that led them out of mm -hmm. slavery. But I guess I, I was just thinking, this is such a, a, this is a very human experience for all of us that we, we enter a wilderness in our lives when we're like lost, like everybody can relate to that. And not always, it's, it's not true to say, oh, you know, God led us there or caused it or whatever. I, I wouldn't want to like sort of blanket it with that, but it's often a time where we like rediscover who God is and like what his plan is for us when we're in this time of wilderness, even though it's like a time of often really intense suffering. That's kind of what I was thinking about. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or else? No? I do know what you mean. Um, well, I, actually, it's interesting uh, behind us. Well, I was kind of distracted by, by the, if you look at the way it's, the wording is uh, behind Jade oh, there, Wrong way. a voice of one calling, colon, open quote, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. <laughs> so the 
actually, I think that's a more accurate uh, punctuation than the one we've oh, got, the, the, the one that I shared. You can sit up now. Okay. Oh. You're welcome. You're working really hard. I'm oh, trying. in the wilderness. Yeah. So the weird thing is, it's not the, the point about the voice is not that the voice is in the wilderness. It's the voice, the voice of one calling. Yeah. So because the way of Lord in the wilderness. Sorry. In this, in this one, it's like, mm -hmm. he's calling, prepare the way of the Lord in, while in the wilderness. You're right. Uh, Which doesn't make sense. Because the, the prayer of the Lord would be like in the city, at the temple, you know, something like a, this, mm -hmm. the most sacred place for them would be the temple in Jerusalem, which was yeah. functioning in John's day. Where is the voice? It's in the wilderness, yeah. right? So you prepare, and you prepare the, where do you prepare the way? Where's the Lord going to show up? He's going to show up in the wilderness. Wow. Yeah, and he does, that's what I'm trying that's to say. That kind of fits with what he you're does. saying. Yeah. He does show up in the wilderness. That was my way of saying I agree with you. it's not a fun place to be when we're going right. through It's never a fun that. place to be. When we're going through that time of oh, being lost, that. right? Yeah. All of us can feel, can relate to feeling that way. Mm -hmm. But I really think that's when God will do, sometimes what, what God needs in order to do things in our lives. Needs, eh? I well, disagree. It's a time, no, it's he a... doesn't need it. I disagree with you. you that's disagree? why I'm, I'm often mad with God about this stuff. It's like, God, you could do this when things are going well. Yeah. But he, he, he needs it because we're not ready. No, he doesn't. He can do whatever he wants to. It's like you just said about the Israelites lost in the desert, though. Jake, they can you settle this one? Ready. So mm. he, we needed that time. No, I mean, God God can do whatever he wants. And you could okay. you could say he gives us the things that we don't, well, that we don't know we need when we're in a good place. Like he gives us blessings and answers. I'm not saying the, the wilderness answers. changes God. The wilderness no. changes us, makes us more disposed. Well, maybe there's us. different kinds of like receiving God and like there receiving are. that answer, you know, like in the different so, effects. Yeah, yeah. I guess part of the things I, I think think about we should we 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 refer to this podcast subtitle, "The Gospel Applied to Mission," mm -hmm. right? So we're trying to interpret this in light of who John is. So the very beginning, like the basically, the second word probably in the Greek would have been like the word. Evangelion, the equivalent of the word gospel, which is here translated good news. Mm -hmm. So this is already a proclamation of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what this all is. Mm -hmm. And it, what it strikes me about it is that it's always moving outward from where we think we're comfortable and safe. But one of the weird things, in my opinion, which I think is true, is there is no safe place to be in one sense. On the other hand, everybody who comes to, to, to know Jesus, including us, He's our safe place. We need sanctuary. We actually need it. Like you can't just go to people and say, you know, your life's really hard and you can meet Jesus and it would still be really hard. What's the point of that? <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> How's that good news? So, yeah. so the point is like we actually do need, I like the word sanctuary myself because it refers in the Catholic church to the front of the church around the altar. In the Protestant world, it refers to the whole church. Mm -hmm. Anyway, sanctuary <laughs> being a place that is set apart, that is holy. The temple would be the sanctuary in, in the Jewish Time, in, in the, in, amongst the Jews at that time, um, a place that is safe, that you're, you get, get to be with God, that you're not like, not like constantly on edge and under stress and struggling. We want that for the people who are coming to us, who are in our lives, like people going through all kinds of big and little crises, right? Mm -hmm. I kind of go back and forth about the importance of sanctuary and the importance of wilderness at the same time. Mm. So they're, di they're different, we need, we need both. Wait a minute. When the people of Israel traveled in the wilderness, they took the sanctuary with them. That's right. They built one out there in the desert. That's what yeah. they did. Yep. God ordered them to, and they did build Tabernacle. it. Tabernacle. Traveled with them. Sanctuary. He traveled with them. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. 
<laughs> they took it with them. They did, literally. Mm -hmm. Well, I wonder if... Seems like a cop-out. You could say, when we're in the wilderness, we still have the sanctuary because we still have Jesus, right? And it's like, it's just the difference between mm -hmm. being in the wilderness with no sanctuary. Yeah. I, well, I was, I was going to add, yeah, I was going to add to what Charles said, that that sanctuary sometimes isn't a tangible, right. real kind of safety. Or, I mean, like worldly kind of safety, let's say. Yeah. Like, you can be in the wilderness in your physical life. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe even enduring terrible suffering and still have like a sanctuary within you. Yeah. Like that place where God dwells that makes you safe within, mm -hmm. even when you're not safe. There's been lots of times when Christians have not been safe. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's also a lie. The other, there's like two lies around this that you can give to people when you're talking about the good news, which I'm always harping about, which is that we need the bad news too. But <laughs> Becoming a follower of Jesus does not mean your life. You automatically enter this kind of sanctuary, this this great, peaceful experience. Right. Being a Christian does not always mean you're living in peace. Mm -hmm. At least on the outside, mm -hmm. your life can actually be very chaotic. Yeah. Or very dangerous, even. Um, but it's it's about like a peace. an internal. This sanctuary. is really that important. Transcends yeah. That transcends your understanding. Yeah. Yes. Peace that. So one of my favorite Christians, one of my heroes, is a woman named Dorothy Day. You know Dorothy Day. You should probably get to know about her some, at some point. Yeah. Um, so yeah. she wasn't sure, because we were talking about this earlier, and I hope it's okay to talk about this, but you were baptized, but there aren't necessarily records of your baptism, right? Is that correct? Well, unknown, to yes. be continued. Yes. Dun, dun, so dun. so Dorothy coming. Day became Catholic in her 30s. Uh -huh. She lived in the early, like through the middle of the 20th century. And she describes, she's, I think she's a great writer personally, but she describes the day she was, as she put it, literally, which would be offered to someone who might have been baptized, but they're not sure. It's called a conditional baptism. Right. You are actually baptized, but part of the baptismal prayer is taking into consideration you may have been baptized before. Right. Anyway, she describes the day of her, of her baptism and reception into the Catholic Church as like a really blah day. Nice. So I actually kind of like that. Nice. <laughs> is that. Is this making sense to you? Yeah. Right, sure. Okay. Because I actually think that when you love somebody, uh, I was married, it was a wonderful day. It was like a really emotionally wonderful day, very, like, like kind of a romantic day, right? Aww. Well, it was, for sure. <laughs> That's Was good. that what your wedding was so. like as well? I would hope that it would um, be like that. Let's see. Don't say that kind it was stale and boring. Of course I'm a romantic. <laughs> well then, okay, fine. Let's just go with that. I mean, I, I don't know. But I don't not every year marriage all is those, like that. All right? those single people out there hoping their wedding day is going to be romantic. I think, people, I think romantic. there's way too much emphasis put on the wedding day. Okay, that's maybe the point. That I, I, the wedding okay, day maybe it depends on if you're an emotional instance, person. My wedding day pales in comparison to the day Jesse was born. Okay. It pales right. in it. It's, Fair. In fact, I, I don't even... I, I can Your be, oldest son. Yeah, my oldest child. Son. Yeah, and every son after. No, that. no, just Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> but like that was so much more of a an important day, I think, in our marriage than our wedding day. Mm. And I already said that. I stand by that. Mm -hmm. Even though our wedding day was when we actually got married, I believe in it. It's real. Yeah. And I believe in the the sacrament too. I believe something happens to you. Mm -hmm. um, but well, I mean, the day Jesse was born. The day Jesse was born was much more important. Didn't to us. have as much to do with him as maybe it did with you and your wife. It transformed our relationship. Right. Completely. Yeah. It transformed. I know what you mean. And and our wedding day did, but 
yeah. in a different way. Like, it, it wasn't nearly as monumental. Well, what I was trying to get at is anyway. that um, kind of this whole idea of the sanctuary and the wilderness. Am I in trouble for that? Is yeah, that you are. Thing? You should. <laughs> you, yes. I, I'm really glad I'm married. and uh, It's not good enough. That's Marriage not good enough. That's really <laughs> weak, actually. I'm really glad I'm and married. I'm really glad I've got a pair of shoes on. It was on. a beautiful I mean, day. Yeah, and it great. went perfectly, and it was full of love and all that stuff. <laughs> I just like bugging them. Um, I remember the limo ride. <laughs> Alrighty then. <laughs> I think you should buy flowers for your wife today. Champagne. I remember that. You should buy flowers for Michelle. Anything Michelle needs that. flowers. Come on, <laughs> flowers for Michelle. Um, oh gosh. <laughs> something about a dinner. Movie the dress. So we're talking about this is actually. The, oh yeah, the dress. Which is a very biblical reflection <laughs> on what it is to be in a covenant relationship with God, which is the Bible compares that to marriage. To a romantic relationship, the Song of Songs, even Isaiah, who's being quoted here at the end of his book, it's like all about the marriage between God and his people, Ephesians chapter 5. It's all this romantic language, yet there's like the, the kind of like mundane reality. And in some ways, like I was saying about Dorothy Day, um, <laughs> this most amazing spiritual moment in her life was like emotionally dry, and yet looking back on it, fundamental to who she became as a person. Yeah as a member of the Catholic Church, which she had not been before. Um, and she became Catholic in part because she was a mother, ties into what you said, mm -hmm. and she really wanted the best for her daughter. Mm -hmm. um, so that led her to the Catholic Church, but that wouldn't have been good enough by itself. She actually obviously had to believe it. So I do think there's something about um, sanctuary, because we as a church, and Sam, we've talked about this, and I don't know if this makes sense to you, Jade, we actually need to be a place where people can come and actually be safe, literally safe sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah spiritually safe um mm -hmm. so we need that sanctuary uh but i in some in some way we acknowledge that this world for anybody is not a safe place some some jurisdictions have actual sanctuary laws about churches oh yeah yeah i think i think they're kind of interesting they are it's a medieval custom yeah where like if you entered a church you were not no longer under the jurisdiction of the yeah. country mm. you were sort yes. of immune from the yes. so if the police right. were chasing you and you went into a church They'd have to stop. They couldn't arrest you in the church right, yeah. by law. In Christian it's Europe. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, like in the cowboy movies. I was just thinking this is kind of goes, cowboy movies? Yeah, they run kind of the goes full circle to what Jade was saying earlier about how like church for her for many years was like a very emotional event mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or it was supposed to be. Probably you felt like if it wasn't, you were doing something yeah, wrong. Yeah, then, then you just didn't feel the Holy Spirit that day. Yeah, you like you missed out on something, right? Mm -hmm. And part of the thing that I think is funny about becoming Catholic for you, I'd, and why I hardly ever recommend it to anyone, <laughs> um, is that it can be super boring being Catholic. And like, our church is okay. Oh, it's not, it's a great church. It's a great church, okay. Oh, it's okay. Thank you, all you donors that pay my salary and everything. Um, Actually, no, I think it's great. It is, a, we, we try really hard here, and we, we are doing some really good things. Um, however, if you go, you know, in general, if you go to a, a church, it's not going to be that kind of experience that you had at, you know, mm -hmm. those churches growing up. Um, yeah. But going back, like tying in with what Charles said about sanctuary, like I think when you find something that's real and true, then it's like you, something you can keep going back to even mm -hmm. when it doesn't feel good or fun. Yeah. Like I have to remind, I honestly have to remind myself that sometimes. And what, like I love going to conferences and things where there's like an emotional, Mm -hmm. I'm an emotional person. I like, mm -hmm. you know, getting the 
gospel preached to me and having a good cry and, that, and the, i love the stuff that's charismatic with the holy spirit raising yeah. the hands and everything i love all that stuff but at the same time i do recognize there's like a there's like a safety and a sanctuary about being catholic that there isn't elsewhere mm -hmm. like even just the fact that um you know that if you're in a catholic church full of catholics who are devout you know they are sure about what they believe and you can't say that for a lot of churches i feel like like being a part of a church doesn't necessarily mean you agree with that or that you even believe in the church itself it, mm -hmm. you could just be there for the experience you know yeah. and i think a lot of people are but the the yeah. catholic church is very united well <laughs> should be <laughs> well here's what i'd say um i like the word profess united I'm Catholic. I'm not united. <laughs> I knew that joke was coming. It was. It was just hanging around, waiting that. for someone to say that. Okay. Uh, what I would say is, Charles. which which is part of the journey of becoming Catholic, as you probably know, is I like the word profess. We profess a common faith, mm -hmm. and a profession is something you say out loud. It's actually an act of worship to profess our common faith in Ooh. in God. Um, it is part of literally the act of worship, which is the mass in the Catholic community, right? That's that's worship. So it's not just a statement of belief. It includes beliefs. Like creeds are not just like, here's a list of things I believe. They right. include the list of things you believe, but they're, they're, they're prayed out loud as a community. Mm -hmm. And then and then we're judged by those words. Like I think that's the, that's the I kind of think that's harsh, but, but part of being honest about who we are is then those yeah. words judge us, our own words that we profess and we worship God it's like this is this is who this this is who you are this is who we are as your people this is who you are for us like father almighty creator of heaven and earth all those those things mm -hmm. but then they judge us because of the, do are we, are we living up to, up to that right yeah yeah so i think there's actually a sanctuary involved in that if i may say like a communal shared reality that we profess together yeah i've been working on something for months now which i've been talking about like trying to write something about pentecostal christians and catholics and stuff and um <laughs> I'm still working on it. Good it's important. You, no, it's kind of, I'm trying to work stuff out in my mind. It's like, well, where does the, where does kind of like this really incredibly like intense, emotional, lively experience of faith fit with like, for me, which is what I grew up with, is more like a very kind of calm, sedate, even solemn expression of faith. Mm -hmm. the, how those two work together. Um, if I'm going to say one thing though, I'd like to ask you both about. Buy the book. What? Nothing. You can pre-order today. Pre-order today. Pre today. Drop your email. Charles Fernandez. Um, I'm mad at Catholics and Pentecostals, and I know people who are both. Uh-oh. Um, which is, like, don't we have work to do here? Why are we, like, sort of, like, stuck in our own thing? Yeah. I'm, I'm so kind of angry in the sense that I think Pope Francis has a lot, a lot to say to, to all Christians. It's like, there are people who need this good news of Jesus Christ, like, Mm -hmm. That's what we should mm -hmm. be doing. We should be saying, if the Holy Spirit has given our community these gifts of, you know, prayer and worship and so forth in the memoir of Pentecostal mode, and we as Catholics know that there's a, a gift of teaching, authority, sacraments and so forth, like, these gifts are not given to us for us. That's what, what I love mm -hmm. about John is, like, he's all about, not even about him, like, point, he's not pointing to anyone to himself. He's just like, whatever I've got, I'm just, like, laying it on the line for, for the Lord and for the, for the people who are, like, mm -hmm. they're stuck. You look like a lizard there because <laughs> you stuck your tongue I did out. like the word possess, possessive. 
possessive. Because I've been stuck on this uh, quote by Pope Francis. What is the quote by Pope Francis? Um, The truth is not something we possess. Uh, Rather, the truth is something that envelops and embraces us. Mm. I just love it. That is like the image of sanctuary. Yes, I I, Mm, I really, really love that. As an image of sanctuary, do you want to say more about that? It just, like when you say that, it... what did you say? <laughs> it envelops and embraces there it is. us. The it's, truth. it's like something that's around us. Being and held. Us. Yeah. Like that image of like a child being mm-hmm. held by their parent and they're so safe, mm-hmm. right? Like they're in the strongest arms. They're or with the, the person they trust. Yeah. It's just, it feels so secure, so safe. Like you could just stay there forever. Yeah. Yeah. And when you say it like the truth, wow. The truth sets us it, free. It reminds me of what he said in here that, um, and I think we talked about this earlier that it's not actually a weapon, right? Mm-hmm. You can't wield it like a weapon. It's not yours to wield, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not like something you have. Right. You're like I'm going to give you the truth because I have it. Right. It's more like we are actually all being like held by it. Mm-hmm. And what it's it's the action it becomes less like I'm going to give you the truth and more like come and get into I the truth. I want to invite me, you. Right? Yeah. Like you're sort of taking them into the embrace rather yeah. than like. Yeah. Than like giving them something they need because right. that's so cold. It's like yeah. handing out a bag lunch or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know how this relates, but I think it does. Sure. There's nothing wrong with giving out bag lunches. No, because food is actually that important. That's something we've talked about. Um, <laughs> Along with eating tax collectors and sinners, I give out bag lunches. Which includes because eating. Of how virtuous I am. <clears throat> You're just like Jesus. I'm just trying to trigger Mary now. <laughs> Um, Mary's a lot like Jesus. Because all, all of us at Holy Family are that virtuous, do we? No, but you don't. You mean this? Never mind. I'm going to stop. So, uh, what, some, I was at a memorial we mass stop. here. We should stop eventually. We should stop soon. Oh, okay. I think because Jade's here, it's going to be 33 percent longer. Okay, we'll have a part two. I, guys. I think you mean 33 and one third percent longer. Catch us next week with part two. 50 50 percent longer. Just right? kidding. We were at a memorial mass. I was just thinking about like when these things matter. Is like. In a, in a really important way, after someone you love has died. So your cousin died a little while ago, and his siblings and other family gathered for Memorial Mass. I, I, I was here for that. And I just heard, I was mentioning to you, Sam, my, my wife's uncle, who I've known for years, for 30 years, he just died. And the funeral is coming up. They asked me to preach because I'm a deacon and everything. And um, the thing is, when someone's died, you cannot change the situation they're in or the family you're in. We can, we can, we believe we're spiritually connected to those who have died so we can pray for them. In some sense, we can help them on their journey to God, which you call purgatory in the Catholic Church. Um, But like you can't change the situation. And yet the memorial mass or the funeral mass, which they're going to have, this is, this is part of being Catholic, which I love is like, there are some of the most amazing things that, that, that exist on earth in my experience is like going to a Catholic. Have you been to a Catholic funeral? No. Well, actually I went to a, one in Greek, but anyway, okay, I didn't understand what was happening. <laughs> There's just something about, at least my experience of Catholic funerals, both for those who are Catholic and for anyone like family and friends who are not necessarily practi- practicing Christians or any particular beliefs. It's incredibly, it's this experience of sanctuary and wilderness. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say that, using the language we've been talking about. And it says something about what God wants to provide for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's like that person's dead and they're not coming back. But we're enveloped. What is that again? Enveloped and embraced by the truth. Yeah. 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 I can't remember the first word now. Enveloped. 
It envelops and embraces us, I think is the, are the two words. To me, that's when I think of being Catholic as the most like, the clear, it's clearest to me about why Catholicism and the Catholic Church need to be here on this earth when I'm at a Catholic funeral. Does that make sense to you? Catholic you've, you've funerals are genius. And yeah. I, I'm often saying that I love going to funerals. Yeah. And then people usually go, what's wrong um, with you? Mm -hmm. But it's because they're genius. It's like you said, they don't change the situation of the person who's died. If that's the wilderness, right? Or, yeah. or the people there. But yet something changes when you go. Right. It does change something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it can be a memorial mass too. It's something about being in the context of the mass that like really... Because yeah. the mass prayers are different at a funeral. Mm -hmm. The whole thing is like a packaged, like the, the perfect morning activity packaged together. That's that's what I think. Mm. Yeah. It's genius. I think everybody needs that. Yeah. That way of marking death where God comes into the situation. Like that's the ultimate wilderness in a way is death, right? Yeah. And God says, I'm the still here. Wilderness. I'm still God. And... um I believe like, of course, I know lots of people who didn't have funerals or didn't have masses or anything like that. But I, when I'm at the funeral mass, it's like all those dead people I know and I still love, they're like, they're with us and we're with them. Yep. We usually pray at the end. We say thank you to God for our time Girls, together. Go ahead. No, I'm going to ask you to do it. You're going to make Jade pray? Yeah. Okie dokie. She's a Christian. Okay. She pray. All know. right, guys. How do we know it's going to happen? <laughs> I think we'll be Feel fine. Control. Let's bow our heads. Let's assume the position. Can you not make <laughs> an airplane? He's making a paper airplane. <laughs> Could you not do that while Jade's going to pray? Can you just okay. wait till after? Settle down, I'll, I'll, hands I'll together. This is what we tell the kindergartners. Alrighty. Good. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us here today and giving us the opportunity to read your word and prepare our hearts for Christmas, God. Uh, we just pray for everyone listening that you will help to prepare their hearts this week as they get ready for the next week of Advent. And yeah, just help us to continue to meditate on these words in the scripture. And yeah, thank you, Lord, for being here and for being at the finish line of this little journey into Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That was cute. Thanks. That's so condescending. It's horrible. <laughs> that was cute. It's Sam. <laughs> it's true. Okay, we do love Sam. He's our friend. Um, this has been Thursday Night Appetizer. My is slightly inappropriate. Remember? It's, it's true. And but you work with children. He, does, he never crossed the line. My kids actually went to the youth group when they were yeah, in high school. It it's like, it's kind of amazing. I've actually watched him do this for years. Like, here's the line. Ah, nope, he pulls back. Anyway, <laughs> very last Sam, second. Jade, and I am Charles. Oh. See you next time. This is, this is, Goodbye. we actually had one quote unquote viral video a couple of weeks ago. This is going to be a super viral. This one's going to go viral. Cause, cause Definitely. Because you, you have a guest. Follow me on Instagram. <laughs> okay. You missed. Bye, everybody.